Well, hello, everybody. It's been a long time, and um, I just have to say that I miss everybody. Um, it's been, what, three or four months since I've been able to come to church and just communicate, commune with everybody. And, um, you know, it's been a very interesting experience um, as we've kind of had to quarantine ourselves. And you're trying to get away from, the, you know, pretty much the whole world for the, as much as you can. But, you know, uh, I think these times are going to be a great exercise in the last days when, when we're not going to be allowed to come together, we're going to have to find different alternative ways to um, to worship and to um, and to go get through those days. Um, today, I'm doing a sermon about fasting, and um, it's more of a study than it is a sermon. Um, this is going to be part one of two um, two discussions or two studies of this um, because. Um, this is something that me and my family we're going through right now, um, going through fasting and what that all entails. So, um, like I said, this is more of a study. I'm going. We're going to do a lot of. Um, I'm going to do a lot of uh, going over some some things that's already been prepared that um, I'm going to read because I want to discuss those things because they accurately talk about everything I would want to talk about anyway. But um, there's going to be very little commentary in this sermon because um, in the second sermon, you're going to hear me talk a lot. I'm going to to do a lot of commentary because we're going to go into the science of what's happening within a fast and why you should want to incorporate that into your life. So let me open with um, my personal health struggle. Uh, in 2001, I graduated from high school, and I was in the best shape of my life. Um, I had I had been playing football and lifting weights, and I was young, you know. And so I, you know, I was running a mile every day, that sort of thing. So by the time I in 2004, when I went to um, UT Tyler um, and college, um, about a year after that, I was in the best shape of my life. I was around maybe 200 pounds, you know. And that was with lifting weights and doing all that. That wasn't just me, just in a normal state. But um, something very significant happened um, in 2005. My father um, had a heart attack, in which, which led to him having to let go of, uh, of his truck. Um, our business went from full swing to zero overnight. And at the same time, I was in the last year of, of college and Seemed like every class I had was like um, very very busy. I was working full time um, at target at the Target Distribution Center, so I'm working full time. I'm going through school. I'm trying to help mom and dad start a new business. It was a very stressful time for me. Um, and the thing that started to happen was I started to gain weight in 2005. So over the next two or three years, I, I was still trying to run a mile every day and run and exercise and do all that. And the and I kept the weight down on, enough, but I was still gaining weight gradually. And as I moved home um, in 2008, um, I'm, and from 2008 to now, I had gained maybe 170 pounds. So I was about, at my heaviest, I was 370 pounds. And mind you, I'm still going to the gym. I'm still exercising. I'm still trying to watch what I'm eating, not trying to um, drink a whole lot of soda and junk food and all that. 
But I kept gaining weight, kept gaining weight. And, you know, like I kept saying to myself over and over again, why do I have to be an, a world-class athlete just to lose, a little, uh, lose weight? Like there's something wrong. And so I've done a lot of study. I've done a lot of research over how do you lose weight? How do you lose weight? And, they, and you always get back. You have to exercise and you have to do all this sort of stuff. Well, last year... Um, every year, me and my friends, we go to San Antonio on a, on a trip. Um, it's for um, Juneteenth, if anybody knows what that holiday is about. But it's a Juneteenth party that we go down to San Antonio every year. And on this trip, one of my friends, um, she had lost about 85 pounds. In less than about nine months, she had lost about, about 85, 70, 85 pounds, something like that. So I asked her, what? are you doing? How did you do this? And she said that she was eating keto and doing intermittent fasting. And I had tried once before to do fast, intermittent fasting and keto. Well, I had tried to do keto. And the thing was, uh, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I tried it. And it kind of worked, but not really. And so I quit doing it. Um, just like any other uh, diet anybody's trying or whatever. And so after the end of that trip, I got to thinking about it. I, the old adage is, you know, losing weight is 80% diet, 20% exercise, sleep, stress, that sort of thing. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to put my gym membership on hold and I'm going to fo- focus 100% on the diet part, the 80%. And so starting um, last July, I started doing keto. I really, really researched keto to make sure I was doing it right. And I started doing intermittent fasting. And over the course of the next three months, I lost 25 pounds. Okay. Now, something happened at the end of September of last year was that I had dental surgery. And I had all of my teeth taken out, of which I still have not gotten back because of this pandemic. Uh, I haven't finished that whole process. But um, what happened was that I couldn't eat like I was eating before on keto. And so I started eating whatever I could eat. With you know having had dental surgery, and so the keto part went away, and and for the most part, I decided that I would just continue to do the, the intermittent fasting, um, just to try to keep the discipline of doing it. And when I say intermittent fasting, it means I was I would start eating at twelve, I would stop eating at eight, and then I would not eat anything after that. So that's what you call a sixteen eight fasting protocol. So I, I would do I did that for the next three months through the holidays, and I was eating whatever I wanted. And when June, when January 1st came around, you know, the time of year when we were all like, you know, we're going to start doing something for health or whatever. I looked at my weight and I noticed something very interesting. I did not lose any more weight, but I also did not gain any more weight. And that was like this big bell in my head was like, wait a minute, there's something what what's happening here? Because I should have gained weight with all what I was eating through the holidays. Right. And so that led me on this path where I discovered, I started researching fasting because I realized, well, I have been doing intermittent fasting. Let's look into that. And that's when I started learning about um, extended fast, like a water fast that people were doing. They were doing five day, seven day, 10 day, 14, 21, 30, 60, 100 day fast. And, and that's and, and that's when I was like, wait a minute, is this healthy? Is this safe to do? And the more I researched it, the more I realized that there was more to it, that fasting is actually 
very healthy. It's very safe. Um, and a lot of these myths that we have today that fasting is starving yourself wasn't true. Um, there's a difference between fasting and starving. And, we're, and in the second sermon, we're going to talk a lot about that. Now, um, it was at this point that uh, I decided I was going to do a 10-day water fast. And I did the 10 days. I lost 22 pounds during that um, 10-day water fast. And uh, I, when I started eating, which I knew this was going to happen, um, when you start eating, you're going to gain a lot of water back and a lot of stuff that your body had uh, adjusted to. And so... Um, I gained about 10 of those pounds back, but I still had lost around 12 pounds. And so that's when I was like, how do I do this without having to go through this um, gain, lose, gain, lose cycle? And that's when I found another form of intermittent fasting called alternate day fasting. And so I'm going to go ahead and get into this so that um, a lot of that is going to be in the second sermon. But I just want to make a point that if you are a person that's struggling with obesity, meaning you need to lose 50-plus pounds. Um, or if you're a person that's dealing with diabetes, like specifically pre-diabetes and diabetes 2, diabetes 1 is a different story. That's a whole different issue. Um, but if you're struggling with diabetes 2 or pre-diabetes, fasting is the answer, and that's what this whole thing is about. And so God answered my prayer because he gave me the answer to what I had been looking for. Why is it that I could never lose weight? Um, And so in the second sermon, like I said, we're going to go into the science of why we are designed to fast. But in this sermon, I wanted to go about like there's actually two elements to fasting. There's a spiritual side of fasting and then there's the physical benefits side of fasting. And um, let's I want to go over the, the, the spiritual part first and then we'll move into the physical part. Um, so. If you're, if I gained your interest, let's go into this study of uh, the importance of fasting. So let's start off with the ver- memory, the, the verse of Matthew four, um, one through three, uh, because Jesus, or one through four, excuse me, but because this is the the one part in the Bible where um, Jesus Himself fasted is when He began His public ministry. So uh, Matthew 4, verse 1 reads, uh, uh, one reads, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward, and afterward hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Okay, so let's go over some some things about fasting itself. And uh, let's go with the first part here. All right. I I made a a PowerPoint presentation so that you could read along. So you just not have to watch me read something. You can read along and see what it is I'm, I'm reading from. And at the end of the sermon, I do have references. So if people are interested in that, I do have places where I got I got the references where you can go look at this yourself. So it says fasting and prayer are talked about throughout the Bible for many reasons, such as worshiping God to express grief, to prepare for ministry, to seek God's wisdom and more. Fasting is abstaining from all or some kinds of food or drink, especially as a religious observance. 
A number of studies have suggested intermittent fasting has numerous health benefits, including weight loss, lower blood pressure, and reduced cholesterol. Dr. Bill Bright, in his guide, Why You Should Fast, lists the following reasons for seeking God through self-denial. Fasting was an expected discipline in both the Old and New Testament eras. Fasting and prayer can restore the loss of the first love for your Lord and result in a more intimate relationship with Christ. Fasting is a biblical way to truly humble yourself in the sight of God. It enables the Holy Spirit to reveal your true spiritual condition, resulting in brokenness, repentance, and a transformed life. Fasting will encourage the Holy Spirit to quicken the word of God in your heart, and his truth will become more meaningful to you. Fasting can transform your prayer life into a richer, more personal experience, and fasting can result in a dynamic, personal revival in your own life and make you a channel of revival to others. Documentation is mounting that shows fasting to not only benefit the spiritual parts of our lives, but it also affects us positively, physically, and mentally. Current research shows that intermittent fasting is extremely beneficial. Okay, so fasting is indeed a discipline. Like, in fact, today is a fasting day for me. I ate yesterday and I will eat tomorrow, but today I only thing I consume is water. I've been fasting this way for about six or seven months now. And I can tell you right now, it is a discipline. Um, it is... Uh, it's for the very reasons that Christ went and fasted in um, when he began his ministry. It's the same reason why we should also fast today. It is to gain the mastery and discipline over your flesh. Because the flesh wants what it wants. And that includes food. And what I have learned over these, um, over these months of doing this is that it's really all just a mind game. That when I think I want food, I'm not actually really, really hungry. It's just that I'm used to eating and I want food. It's what I want. And so it is a discipline. Um, it is also how we humble ourselves and deepen our relationship with God. Jesus started his ministry through prayer and fasting because he humbled himself before God, um, the Father, and he prayed to his Father to give him the strength to overcome. And his Father answered his prayer. Some of the benefits I've had experience from fasting this year is that I just feel better. Like you have better energy levels, better sleep, and more mental focus. These are all benefits of, of physical benefits of, of uh, fasting. But like I said, once again, in the second part uh, of this sermon, we are going to go into those benefits in more detail. So why did Jesus fast? Fasting is a practice found throughout the scripture. A fast in the Bible is usually a voluntary, total abstinence from food for a set time for the purpose of devoting oneself to seeking God. Fasting denies our flesh what it wants so that we can focus more clearly on strengthening our spirits. It doesn't seem that Jesus fasted often. In fact, his critics condemned him for eating and drinking in Matthew eleven nineteen, There is only one recorded instance in scripture of Jesus fasting. This fast immediately followed his baptism in Matthew 3.13, which inaugurated Jesus' public ministry. In Matthew 4.1-2, um, um, says that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to fast for 40 days and nights. During that time of fasting, Jesus was repeatedly tempted by the devil. This testing time prepared him for the three-year ministry that would change the world. During those 40 days, when Jesus 
uh, Jesus' flesh was at its weakest. He endured religious temptation from Satan. Satan offered him alternatives to God's plan, compromises that would satisfy his natural desires, and attacks upon his very identity as the Son of God in Matthew 4.3. Jesus used the word of God not as not his own strength to defeat those temptations and remain victorious over sin. He demonstrated for us that fasting can strengthen us spiritually when we use it to draw closer to God. After Jesus' fast, the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Luke 4.14 concludes the account of this testing time by saying, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. He had conquered temptation and was ready to embrace the purpose for which the Father had sent him. He would not rely on his humanity to perform miracles, deliver the oppressed, or defeat death. Uh, and to defeat death. Fasting was a way he declare, to declare mastery over his human nature so that he would live every moment directed by the power of the Spirit. He set the example for us who are not in the realm of the flesh but are in the realm of the Spirit, Romans 8, 9. If the Son of God did not rely on his flesh to live in op- op- obedience to God, then we can't either. And that is a lot of what our spiritual journey is about, is gaining mastery over our our flesh the flesh desires evil the flesh wants what it wants and fasting is a is a way for us to train ourselves to to master that so that when temptation comes we can overcome because we have discipline in our in our experience with god um the one thing i've I've talked uh, i've told people that i have um had conversations about fasting including my mother who's also doing this by the way um is that when the days that um, the days that I know I'm not going to eat, like there's no chance I'm going to eat, like today, I do not think about food very much, very much at all. But the days that I know that I'm going to eat, I when I wake up in the mornings, I am anticipating eating all day long, and it makes it harder to fast. And what I have learned that learned is that this is all a mind game. It's a mind thing. You're, you're not actually really hungry. You just want to eat. And your body is reacting. It's called a gremlin response. Your body has been trained to eat at certain times of the day. And at that time, it starts to naturally want food. But once you get past that response, the hunger goes away. Have you ever been at work or at, at an event or something you were doing? You got hungry, but you were so busy that you couldn't eat. And after 30 minutes or an hour, you weren't hungry anymore. That is what we're talking about here. It's that you really wasn't hungry. You, you were having a, a physical response because you were ready to eat. Now, like I said, I have more things I could say. But to get through, I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next part. When we get to the second sermon, don't worry. I am going to go into details on all of that sort of stuff um, because there's a lot, but it's actually not that. It's, 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 it's not simple, but it's very easy to understand if you understand what I'm saying. Okay, so fasting and spiritual health. There are, these are, this, this part goes into a lot of different reasons for why we fast. And so... Um, we're going to go into those topics. The first one is fasting and spiritual health. Uh, 
Throughout history and even today, fasting, the abstinence from food, and sometimes water has been practiced in a religious context, and there are many references to to fasting in the Bible. Some fasts in the Bible were of total abstinence from food and water. For example, when Esther required all Jews in now I'm horrible with names, but Shishan, I guess that's the name of it, to neither eat nor drink for three days. But there were also examples of partial fast, as in the case of Daniel, when he ate no pleasant bread, nor flesh, nor wine. Daniel ten three. In addition to the Bible, in addition, the Bible provides examples of a range of motivating factors for fasting, such as grief or defeat in war or to show repentance. And yes, there are actually two different types of fasting. There's what they call dry fasting when you don't drink water and you don't eat food. And there's water fasting when you don't eat food, but you do you can drink water. Now, in the next sermon, we're going to talk about there's a lot of opinions about should you take um, nutrition, like nutritional supplements, that sort of thing while you fast. There's a lot of different opinions. The truth is you don't have to, but you could if you did want to. Um, but it is not actually necessary. Okay? Um, fasting in the Bible. Why did people fast during Bible times? Perhaps you're wondering whether Christians should fast today. Does it make any difference to God whether we fast or not? Does fasting change us in any significant way? The Bible can provide insight and answers about Christian fasting. 40-day fast. And there's several examples in the Bible of people doing 40-day fasts. Um, and so perhaps the earliest reference to fasting involved Moses while he was in the presence of God on Mount Sinai. 40 days, 40 nights, Exodus twenty four eighteen, during which time we're told he did neither eat bread nor drink water. Um, Exodus thirty four twenty eight. Moses had been called on an errand by God. God had told him, come up to me in the mount and be there and I will give thee. Tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. God miraculously sustained Moses while they were they met together. When God calls a person to come to some special job, we can be sure that God will sustain them even in a miraculous way. So there was also uh, examples of repentance. Often we see in the Bible people fasting for a sign of remorse and repentance. For example. Samuel called a corporate fast when all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord and returned to him following the time of their idolatry in 1 Samuel 7-2. After riding the land of the, ridding the land of their idols, they gathered at Samuel and I guess it's Mezbah, um, and fasted on that day and, and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. Um, Ahab, the people of Israel, and even Israel's enemies at the preaching of Jonah fasted to show their sorrow for sin and deep repentance. Christians may do the same today, and we become aware of the awfulness of our sins and humble our hearts in repentance. Fasting may increase our sense of our need to independence upon Christ for all our righteousness, though fasting can never add to the free gift of salvation that Christ has brought for us. Okay, then there was fasting on the Day of Atonement. God himself appointed a fast for the Day of Atonement in which he required soul-searching repentance while atonement was being made for the people. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Also on the tenth day of this seventh month there shall be a Day of Atonement. It shall be a holy convocation unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls, and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And ye shall do no work in that same day, for it is the Day of Atonement to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. Leviticus twenty-three twenty-six through 28 
All right. Um, here we see that the people were called together to fast or be afflicted. To number two, make a sacrifice by fire and rest from their labors or keep or keep a Sabbath. People of uh, Isaiah's day accused God of paying no attention to their fasting. God rebuked them for their hypocrisy, their pride instead of humility and their lack of repentance. He said, behold, in the day of your fast, ye find pleasure. Ye, ye find pleasure and exact all your labors. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day to make your voice be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen a day, um, chosen a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it is it to bow down his head or to bulrush or to speak spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou, wilt thou call this a fast and acceptable day to the Lord? Ellen White commented, a legal religion can never lead souls to Christ, for it is a loveless, Christianless religion, fasting or prayer that is actuated by a self-justifying spirit is an abomination in the sight of God. The solemn assembly of for worship, the round or religious ceremonies, the external humiliation, the imposing sacrifice, proclaim that the doer of these things regard himself as righteous and as entitled to heaven, but it is all a deception. My, our own works can never purchase salvation. So basically, fasting for the wrong reasons um, will not gain you any more points for God. Um, there's, a, there's a way you should do it. Okay? All right, let's see here. Okay. Prayer. So, usually with fasting comes prayer. Like, it usually comes hand in hand. So, and there's a lot of examples of that in the Bible as well. So, the Bible, both in the Old Testament and in the New, has many examples of fasting combined with earnest prayer. Further, there are examples of individuals fasting for personal reasons. For example, when Hannah fasted and prayed that God would give her a son in 1 Samuel 1, 7 through 8. When David fasted and prayed for the healing of his infant son in 2 Samuel 12, 16. Or when Darius fasted and prayed for Daniel's survival in the lion's den in Daniel 9, 3. There are also incidents of corporate fasting as when, as when in 2 Chronicles 23, King Jehoshaphat proclaimed a fast as the nation prayed for deliverance from their enemies. When Esther proclaimed a fast as she and her people pleaded for deliverance from Haman's evil plot of destruction. And when Ezra called for fasting and prayers as they sought direction and protection from God concerning their return to Jerusalem from Babylon. In Ezra 8, 21-23. And because uh, proper fasting is not um, abstemiousness, I guess that's the word, <laughs> to the point of weakening the body, tends to clear the mind. It can prepare us to better receive God's guidance through the Holy Spirit's communication with our minds. Combined with a humble spirit, humble attitude of submission to God's will, fasting and prayer can prepare us to receive more of the Spirit of God, as we can see in the following quote. Uh, Instruction was given me in the night season that I must bear a decided message to this people. You greatly need to experience a deeper heart work. It is your privilege to receive more of the Spirit of God as you engage in fasting and earnest prayer. And that was in the Advent Review and Sabbath Herald in um, January 13, 1910. All right. So also when someone is in grief, people have fasted. 
Um, David and his people fasted and mourned when they heard that Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle. In 2 Samuel 1.12. The people of Israel mourned and fasted over the defeat by the tribe of Benjamin in Judges 20.26. And Nehemiah fasted and mourned when he heard that the Jews remaining in Jerusalem were in great affliction and the city lay in ruins. It is appropriate to mourn with those who mourn. Um, Romans 12.15. Even more, it is appropriate to sigh and cry for all the abominations that be done in the Christian church, see Ezekiel 9, 4. And in fasting can be a part of this, this as, as we humbly submit our wills to God. And then, of course, Jesus was, um, gave us an example of, about, of what he said about fasting. Jesus himself has said, had something to say about fasting and seemed to suppose that fasting was an ordinary part of the devotional life for believers. Jesus spoke the words of Matthew six sixteen through eighteen during his sermon on the mount when the multitudes had gathered to him to hear him and his disciples came unto him in Matthew five eleven. Look carefully at the following verses. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites or of the sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward, but thou when thou fastest anoint thine head with thy, and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Matthew six sixteen through 18. So also we need to consider Jesus' comments and instructions about fasting. So he he said, fasting is a normal part of spiritual practice for believers. First of all, notice that Jesus said, when you fast. He expected believers to fast. So obviously there are times which are appropriate for believers to fast. Fasting um, is primarily an inward attitude, not an external sign. Jesus taught that fasting for selfish reasons is useless. He used the proud Pharisees as an example of how not to fast. If you fast so that others will think you are very spiritual, that's of no value. He said, if you fast in secret, then God will reward you. Interestingly, Jesus talked about fasting right after teaching his disciples the Lord's Prayer. This perfect example of prayer comes from a peaceful submission to the will of God and a humble acceptance of his sovereignty over the believer's life. This kind of true inward humility is a requirement for meaning, meaning, uh, meaningful fasting. Consider also an incident that Jesus led to recommend fasting to his disciples. Jesus had chosen three disciples to be with him at his transfiguration. Meanwhile, the remaining nine were facing a crisis. A man had, who had a demon-possessed son came to them and asked them to cast out the demon. They couldn't. Later, when they asked Jesus why they couldn't cast the demon out, he told them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, If ye have a faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Matthew seventeen twenty. Apparently, it was the disciples' lack of faith that cast up a roadblock against their ability to oust the demon. Then Jesus added these often mis- misunderstood words. Howbeit, this kind goeth not out by, but, but by prayer and fasting. Verse 21. What did Jesus mean? First, Jesus said, unto, um, Jesus said their unbelief prevented them from casting out the demon. Then he told them the demon could only be cast out by prayer and fasting. Did Jesus mean that certain demons are too strong to be cast out without prayer and fasting? 
Since Jesus said that it was by his fing- by the finger of God that he cast out devils in Luke eleven twenty, it must have been the same finger of God that the disciples cast out devils. Obviously, God's finger is not strengthened by our fasting, but something happens within us through fasting. Prior to this, Jesus had foretold his death and the nine disciples were sorrowing over his words, so they were discouraged. On top of that, the nine were jealous of the three that had been chosen to accompany Jesus to the mount. Their hearts weren't right with God. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work, James 3.16. In that context, they unwisely engaged Satan in battle. Ellen White sheds additional light upon this incident. In order to succeed in such a conflict, they must come to the work in a different spirit. Their faith must be strengthened by fervent prayer and fasting and humiliation of heart. They must be emptied of self and be filled with the Spirit of God. Um, Shortly after this event, in the very next chapter of Matthew, we read, At the same time um, came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Obviously, they missed the point about the need for humility. And Jesus reiterates, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So when he said, How be it this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting, he was pointing out the disciples' own personal um, need for spiritual renewal and real humility. And then also fasting as a symbol. As a symbol of the humble position of the heart, Christians kneel in prayer to God. In a similar way, fasting should be a physical demonstration of the believer's humble submission to God's will and his or her utter dependence upon him. Fasting is, an appropriate, uh, is as appropriate now as it was in Jesus' day. According to Ellen White, fasting is actually even more important now than ever. Writing about the last, earth's last days, she said, We are living in the most solemn period of this world's history. The destiny of Earth's teeming multitudes is about to be divided. Our own future well-being and also the salvation of of other souls depend upon the course which we now pursue. We need to be guided by the spirit of truth. Every follower of Christ should earnestly inquire, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? We need to humble ourselves before the Lord with fasting and prayer and to meditate upon, upon his word, especially upon the scenes of the judgment. We should now seek a deep and, and living experience in the thing of God. Furthermore, Ellen White comment, comments that when done in the right spirit and for the right reasons, fasting and prayer are tools God can use to accomplish his works in us. In the hand of God, we are a means of cleansing the heart and promoting a receptive frame of mind. We obtain answers to our prayers because we humble our souls before God. In summary, believers fast for a number of different reasons, but to reap spiritual benefits from fasting, it should be accompanied by true repentance and humility. In addition, um, fasting can bring spiritual revival and can put us in a proper mind frame to better receive the things of God. Okay, so that what we just went over is the spiritual reasons behind fasting. Now I want to transition into um, into the physical reasons to fast and the benefits that come from that and we'll end with Ellen G. White's own recommendations for uh, about this topic because she herself had an opinion about it. Okay? So, fasting and physical health. 
Throughout the ages, people have also uh, used fasting to strengthen or regain physical health. Fasting is truly an accident cure. Ancient, excuse me, it's uh, truly an ancient cure. Although the practice may be considered extreme in contrast to this age of fast food and overindulgence. The rationale behind fasting is that by withholding food from the body, energy normally spent digesting food can be invested instead in repairing the body's cells, organs, and tissues. The result is rejuvenation and an overall sense of well-being, which is why some people incorporate regular fasting as a part of a healthy lifestyle. Keep in mind that fasting should always be monitored by a health professional and that fasting is not recommended for people with certain medical conditions. So, yes, obviously, if you have um, some serious medical conditions, you do want to make sure that you can do fasting without, you know, causing more problems. So can you do it with just water? Some health clinics offer supervised fasting programs in which patients drink only water for two or three weeks or longer. Remarkable cures have been documented on this type of fasting program, including diabetes 2, high blood pressure, um, I don't know how to say this word, but sinusitis, and even deafness. During a lengthy um, water fast, the body quickly burns up its stores of sugar and switches to fat burning for energy. By God's design, toxins are kept safely out of circulation by storing them in fat cells. So as fat is broken down and metabolized during a fast, toxins are released and removed from the body. This fat burning during the fasting has a significant detoxifying effect. As more and more toxins are released and removed, symptoms that may have been present for years begin to to be eliminated. Typically, water fasting follows this pattern. Days 1 through 2, your blood sugar and sugar stored in muscle tissue is burned. In days 3 and beyond, fat is burned, ketones are released, and feelings of hunger disappear. Signs of inflammation, pain, and swelling are gradually eliminated. And so, uh, this is kind of giving you a quick summary of what the next summary uh, sermon that I'm really going to go into about what's actually happening during a fast. So um, there's there's uh, obviously there's different ways to fast. This is called detoxifying juices. Um, I'm going to skip over that part, um, but basically that's like the juice fast that you see people do. Like they'll they'll uh, take vegetables and fruit and they'll um, they'll uh, basically mash the juice and the nutrients and the minerals out of it and then take the pulp and throw it away. And you're fasting, but you're still feeding the body the food that it needs on a, on a cellular level. Um, there's also about the length of the fast. This is actually where intermediate fasting comes into place. So let me read this. Metabolic detoxification doesn't really begin until the second or third day of fasting. But even fasting for one day can be beneficial in that it allows the digestive digestive organs to rest and um, recuperate. You may want to go on a one-day juice fast from time to time simply to rest the digestive organs while still supplying vital nutrients with freshly made juices. Dr. James and Phyllis Bouch uh, in Prescription for Nutritional Healing State, a three-day fast helps the body get rid of toxins. A five-day fast starts the healing process. A 10-day fast should take care of most problems before they arise. A fast this long is good twice a year. Do not fast on water alone. Fasting over three days should be supervised by a qualified health professional. If you are planning to fast, you should work with your health care provider to determine the length of your fast regarding the length of a fast. Dr. James and Phyllis Batch make these recommendations. So, once again, there are a lot of opinions about whether or not you need to do that. 
Um, I have learned that you really don't, as, and many people who fast do not take any, do anything but drink water. Um, and there are reasons why that's perfectly fine, and I'll explain that in the next sermon. Okay, so fast. Um, this is also some recommendations. Um, fast um, the t- until the tongue is cleared of its coating, because you'll notice as you fast that you will get a coating on your tongue. The breath is sweet, um, and you are hungry. That's just some quick little tips they give. Okay, conditions improved by fasting. Fasting enables the body to return to normal functioning and regain its vitality. A number of positive benefits from fasting include weight loss. This becomes especially apparent after the third day of fasting. Risk factors factors decrease. High blood pressure, excess weight, and metabolic disorders improve. And general health improves. When should you not fast? You should not fast when severe cardiac disorders or severe organ diseases rule out fasting and can actually be harmful. Check with your health practitioner before undertaking a fast. However, you can still benefit from the detoxifying principles employed in fasting by incorporating in your diet an abundance of fresh, unprocessed raw fruits and vegetable juices. Um, so fasting has both spiritual and physical benefits, which can lead us to greater realiza- uh, realization of our dependence upon God. He alone is our only source of health and salvation. Um, and this is Psalms 103, 2 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. For who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, let's, I'm going to end the sermon with Ellen Jean White herself. Because she had recommendations, and this isn't going to take too long. But um, as you can see, there's a there are a lot of different kinds of fasts, and so you you really need to know what it is you're trying to achieve. But intermittent fasting is basically incorporating a fasting period in your daily life. Now you don't have to do it every day, but there are there have different names. But you can do it every day if that's what you want to do. Um, I do alternate day fasting. So let me read what Ellen G. Wright said right quick about this topic, and then we'll close. Um, Intermittent fasting has been the topic of many recent books and has been studied in animals and in humans. Basically, intermittent fasting is a broad term that focuses on when a person eats, not the number of calories or types of food. It, is, it always includes a period of voluntary abstinence from food, and its proponents approach the subject in different ways. The most popular approach is the 16-8, which requires a fasting for 16 hours and an 8-hour time slot when you can eat anything at any time. That's not actually true. You still should try to eat well, but technically you could eat whatever you wanted just to be doing intermittent fasting. Another version, alternate day fasting, which is what I do, um, alternate, alternates 24-hour periods of fasting with days of eating freely, which I don't eat freely. Um, the 5-2 approach limits fasting to two, just two days um, a week. So they're saying 5-2 means five days of eating, two days of fasting. Um, while the warrior diet, which I, I don't know much about, follows a 20-hour fast. So a 20-hour fast is when you, um, you have four hours during the day when you can eat. And typically, you're eating two meals, like at the beginning of the four hours and at the end of the four hours. It's really like a two-a-day. Um, um, so let me start over. The, while the, diet, the warrior diet follows a 20-hour fast with one large meal consumed at night. 
Um, that's also called OMAD, one meal a day. And all of these programs, the stomach gets a period of regular rest during fasting. Intermittent fasting, proponents say, say, helps most people lose weight and maintain that loss over a long period of time, combats certain diseases like diabetes and heart disease, allows one to sleep longer and better, and slows down the aging process, which it actually does. Um, when Miss White advocated two meals a day, she was advocating what we call intermediate fasting today. Her plan follow, uh, allows, sorry, I didn't even have to, I didn't even have it turned. Uh, let me see if I catch up here. Yeah, okay. So let me, let me go right back. Our, her plan allows for a daily, nightly fast over about 16 to 18 hours, but with nothing in between or after those two meals. Let's look at what Miss White said about two meals a day. This is what she said. Our plain, our plain food eaten twice a day is enjoyed with a keen relish. We have no meat, cake, or any rich food upon our table. We use no lard, but in its place, milk, cream, and some butter. We have our food prepared, but with a little salt, and have dispensed with spices of all kinds. We breakfast at 7 and take our dinner at 1. I have, within 8 months, lost 25 pounds of flesh. I am better without it. I have more strength than I have realized for years. So on Friday evening, June 5th, 1863, Ellen White had her first major vision on health. This was 15 days after the Adventist Church was officially organized on Thursday, May 21st, 1863. The Whites were visiting Brother A. Hillard's um, plain little farmhouse by the side of the road in, in Ostego, Michigan, about 30 miles um, northeast of Battle Creek. Uh, yeah, the group had just opened the Sabbath with sundown worship. Near the end of their prayer session, Ellen placed her hands upon James and pleaded for his help. All at once, her thrilling exclamation, glory, 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 announced another ver- a vision. For 45 minutes, she said nothing, and then took, she took her characteristic deep breath, indicating that her vision was over. That vision was the mer- nucleus of the Adventist health message. During that year and the next, she wrote down her recollections in the little book, Spiritual Gifts, including the statement above about two meals a day. So, uh... The little company of Adventist believers in 1864 was very sick and needed our health message. Joseph Bates was probably the only health church pioneer. Almost every week there was an obituary showing that someone, child, worker, member, had passed away prematurely. When Miss White shared her vision with the church, both leaders and laymen embraced this new lifestyle called health reform, which included a vegetarian plant-based diet, freedom from caffeine, alcohol and tobacco, plain food, and two meal, and the two-meal plan. The health of the workers and the members immediately began to improve. In 1864, the germ theory was still in the future. There were no x-rays, antibiotics, or antihistamines. Diabetes and heart disease were not a concern back then. Men- members noticed that the new dietary and health reform freed them from headaches and dyspepsia, which is indigestion, and gave them new life. Slowly over the years, the interest in two meals a day in the Adventist church was greatly diminished. Two recent studies on the link between the impact of meals and their timing frequency to, um, to weight gain have now been conducted by Dr. Hannah Calavia. I guess that's how you pronounce her name. These studies validate the two meal a day concept that was given to Ms. White. In, his, in her first study, 
Dr. Calavia collaborate with colleagues from her own institution, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, as well as from the Institute of Clinical and Experimental Medicine and the Institute of Endocrinology from uh, based in Prague, Czech Republic. This was a small crossover study, but it showed that the BMI, or the weight gain, increased as meals increased from two meals to six. Her newest study results were published in the Journal of Nutrition. And they were co-written by Dr. Gary Fraser from Loma Linda University School of Public Health. Dr. Kolovia um, led uh, presented the findings at the International Conference of Nutrition and Medicine in Washington, D.C. on July 29, 2017. Led by Dr. Kolovia, the study was large and comprehensive and included 50,660 adult individuals from the Adventist Health Study um, to all ages 30 or older. The focus was on the possible link between when and how often people uh, eat and their body max um, index. The participants had varied body types and sizes, and their eating habits and health outcomes were monitored for an average period of seven years. At the outset of the the participants were asked to fill out in a questionnaire detailing their medical history, eating practices, physical activity, and other relevant inf- information. As the study went on, the participants filled in follow-up forms declaring any major health he- events. The, fo- fi- the final follow-up questionnaire reported how often participants had normally taken their meals and at what times of the day. The study had several main findings. In the first place, it showed that people who ate regularly, who regularly ate two mil- meals per day had a decrease in BMI. They lost more weight. Notice in Ms. White's statement that above that she lost 25 pounds in eight months when she switched to the two-meal-a-day plan. Conversely, those who ate more than three meals a day increased their BMI, and the more meals they ate, including snacks, the greater the weight gain. The researchers also found that people who, re- who had breakfast regularly tended to lose more weight than people who p- chose to skip breakfast. More importantly, the participants whose largest meal of the day was breakfast experienced a large BMI decrease in contrast with those who made their last meal their largest meal. Additionally, the researchers found that skipping dinner altogether and having a long 18- or 19-hour overnight fast contributed to a weight loss. Other good eating practices the researchers observed, including leaving five or six hours between breakfast and lunch and abstaining from snacks throughout the day, sounds a lot like Mrs. White's health advice. It's amazing that in 1863, Miss White could actually give the remedy for diabetes and other diseases that were almost unknown then. Intermediate fast, intermediate fasting, which, um, which many, many which advocate coffee drinking and indulgence in unhealthful foods and intemperate practice, is being recommended by many health professionals as the newest treatment for diabetes and other diseases. In 2015, 30.3 million Americans, or 9.4% of the population, had diabetes, which is about 422 million worldwide. The percentage of Americans aged 65 and older who have diabetes remained at epidemic levels at 25.2% or or 12 million seniors. In 2015, 84.1 million Americans aged 18 and older had prediabetes. Um, And for those of you who don't know, prediabetes is you don't have diabetes, but you're very, very close. Your blood sugar levels are um, very, very high. And you're very close to being a diabetic, too. Um, where was that? Diabetes remains the seventh leading cause of death in the United States. 
um, in 2015, and these statistics are increasing at an alarming rate each year. The first thing the doctors will tell you, tell a newly diagnosed diabetic, is to lose weight. But weight loss is a great struggle for most. Most people who begin the two-meal-a-day plan lose a significant amount of weight and maintain this loss. A recently published study in Great Britain showed that all the participants who lost 30 pounds or more saw their diabetes go into remission. And so... Um, those are the references that I just read. To summarize, Ellen G. White herself practiced intermittent fasting. Um, two meals a day is basically doing a, either a 16-8 or doing a 20-4, and four, which means that she's only eating two meals, and she's eating those in the morning time, and she would eat them, say, at 8 o'clock and at 1 o'clock. And then the rest of the time, she's fasting. For the matter of fact, the word breakfast is the word is two words, break your fast. So everybody's fasting um, when they sleep. We already fast. The question that we're, uh, has arisen in these later days is, is it safe to do extended fasting? Now, uh, she lost 25 pounds. Um, I am halfway in the middle of my, reco- my health recovery. At my heaviest, I was 370 pounds. And from last year at this time to now, which is about 13 months, I personally have lost 90 pounds, and half of that time, I didn't really focus on fasting. I thought it was about the keto diet. So really, from January 1st to now is when I lost the majority of the weight I have lost already. And there was a month in there where I got sick um, during um, the spring because I always catch a cold, which I had to eat. Um, like normal because fasting puts a stress on the body and you don't want to have extra stress on your body when you're sick. You want to go ahead and eat. So I had actually gained a few pounds during that time period. So I lost a whole month of fasting. And then I started back in June, I started fasting, doing the alternate day fasting again until to this very day. And I have lost 90 pounds. My mother is also doing it and she's, starting, she's getting results. She recently started to um, also do alternate day fasting. So basically, uh, hopefully I piqued your interest about the next sermon that I'm, I'm going to give and why if you have prediabetes or diabetes 2, if you're dealing with obesity, if you have um, metabolic um, ailments, if you have heart disease ailments, all of these things can be helped or solved completely through fasting. And that is what we're going to talk about in detail about how you do that, how do you do it safely and um the benefits that you when you can receive from that. And so that is the sermon that I have. This is part one of two. And um, I look forward to doing that sermon. I'm thinking it's sometime in December, early December. Um, and I will do that sermon. So, all right. Uh, if everybody would just bow your heads, we'll have a word of prayer. Lord, um, thank you so much for what you have done for us. As seem like is a common theme, it's, when we have a problem, it's not what we can do, but what you have already done for us. For all of us that struggle in this day and time when um, food is more abundant, especially in first world countries, and and there's an epidemic going on from obesity and, and, and all these diseases, there's not something that we need to go out and buy and purchase and something extreme that we need to go out and do. It's just simply listen to you, reading your word and understanding what you have already told us to do, which is to fast. And in that fasting, you have provided the means to heal ourselves. And so, Lord, I just pray that those that are listening to this sermon who are interested in this topic, be that you show them what they need to do in the, in the coming months 
to start their own journeys back to health. And Lord, we just want to thank you for all the blessings that you have given us and that you are continuing to shower upon us in these last days. And I thank you personally for allowing me to get healthier in my own journey and answer my own prayers. And so, Lord, we give you all the praise and the glory. And we say this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.